This is COVID-19 Seattle. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Aaron Granillo. Several school districts in western Washington are planning for online learning this fall. Highline, North Shore, Kent, Auburn, Renton, and Bellevue will all be starting the new school year with 100% remote learning. Seattle Public Schools will likely follow suit. Denise Juno is the district's superintendent. I'll be recommending to the school board that we begin school remotely and that we continue in this model until the risk of COVID-19 transmission has decreased enough to resume in-person instruction. Juno says the board will vote on her plan August 12th. I don't take this decision lightly. It was made after consulting and in partnership with neighboring districts and working with our educators and school leaders. And she acknowledges this is not at all what she wanted to do. I understand the hardship that remote learning may cause for many families. I know this is going to be hard. I also know that we can work together to make the best of these circumstances and to help all students succeed. And I was uh, looking at some of the other school districts that have closed. I think they're all on the same page in saying they do at some point want to get back to in-person learning at some point this year, but that won't happen until the public health officials say it's safe to do so. Yeah. And they're not making it up. I was just talking with Dr. Keith Jerome, and he says there is something especially contagious about this virus in a closed environment. Sometimes even masks may not be enough. And he himself did not know of a safe way to reopen school unless it's to do what uh, the Port of Seattle has suggested and hold school outdoors. It has not been done on a very large scale by uh, any districts that he knows of. But that may have to be a realistic possibility now that it's become so difficult to figure out a way to do it safely indoors. That sounds like such a logistical challenge, though. It does. Right? I mean, not even talking about the weather, because we know our winters aren't uh, particularly friendly out here. Um, but bussing in students from all over the city to, to port locations, how is that even possible? Well, it's um, it's definitely difficult. But I'm well, we'll see what what parents think from what I've heard been a long time since I've had young kids at home. um, The struggles of trying to juggle work and homeschooling might be worth the extra hassle of putting your kid on a bus and and having them have school at a park. Yeah, we'll see about that plan. Um, Here's what Seattle Public Schools plan does include as of right now. So Juneau is suggesting extra training for teachers in the spring. There was very little guidance or accountability for teachers moving classes online. All students should have internet access and a device. Grading will probably stop being as lenient as it was in the spring. You might recall that the district was essentially giving everybody an A as long as they tried. And then there's a plan to continue to provide meals. Uh, Some students with special education needs are still going to have in-person instruction in a more limited way. I was looking at this study from the AP and the Center for Public Affairs. Um, Only about one in 10 Americans think that daycare centers, preschools, or K-12 should open this fall without restrictions. About three in 10 say teaching kids in classrooms shouldn't happen at all. Um, So... Yeah, it it sounds like to me, based on these polling and just sort of uh, anecdotal evidence here, parents do want their kids back in class. They just want to make sure that if they do go back, it's safe, not only for for them at home, but also for the teachers, too. 
Right. And that's a big concern for the teachers. You're in a class of, what, 25 kids. Yeah. We know that the germ spread is actually most prevalent right before symptoms appear. So it's a it's a dangerous situation. And even with daycare centers, I mean, my granddaughter's daycare, um, she, my, my daughter said she was in, I, I believe she was in there for two or three days before one kid tested positive and suddenly, bam, it's all closed down again. And, and now you have to quarantine for, what, 14 days before you can reopen. And uh, at some point, it just it becomes impossible to have any kind of reliable child care. President Trump also, he was asked about this yesterday, and he said he would be comfortable with his son, Barron, and grandchildren attending school in person this fall. And another note, um, the Republican-controlled Senate is expected to unveil its next coronavirus relief package today, uh, at least a, a version of it. It is expected to include more than $100 billion for schools. And CNN is reporting about $70 billion would be allocated for K-12 through education to make sure they have things like, you know, cleaning supplies, extra sanitizer. I, I think testing would also be a part of that, um, that school package as well, too. Um, I, I also just had this thought. Flu season is going to be coming back up, um, you know, in the fall season. It's going to be a mess when you have students who are not only testing... <laughs> likely positive for just the common flu, influenza every year, but then you have a a, 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 a potential outbreak of COVID-19. I mean, how do you differentiate? I, I, I assume there's going to be some sort of difficulties trying to manage all of that. Well, one silver lining is that the precautions we've taken to stop the spread of COVID-19 have been extremely effective at stopping the spread of the flu. Dr. Mm -hmm. Keith Jerome at the UW was saying that they get testing back every week. And they were, at one point, I believe he said, saw zero new flu cases. Mm. So wow. while uh, while COVID is still remarkably contagious, the, the poor flu hasn't got a chance. Here's one particular way the scales will be tipped in an all-online learning scenario. Parents have been organizing something called learning pods or pandemic pods, this is where small groups of children do a miniature version of school together at home. Some parents are taking turns monitoring and coming up with extra lesson plans. Others are going as far as hiring private teachers. Well, that's certainly a strategy that, that we've adopted in terms of pods. We have a, a small group of people who we socialize with on a semi-regular basis. We haven't gone outside that except for, for family, and our, our family is relatively small. And I mean, it's what, four months now, and we haven't had any infections in the family here. Uh, the family back home in uh, New York, where I grew up, had uh, a couple of infections. They got over it, uh, but they have also been very good about distancing and masks. And so the idea of a pod model works. I know that uh, there are a lot of people who are, are very into homeschooling, and sometimes those families will, in fact, get together to provide uh, additional educational materials that go beyond what one family can provide. And I suppose if you can confine that to, what is it, five to ten people and not go outside that, you certainly lessen the chances of a dangerous spread of the virus. You know, homeschooling and these learning pods, that I think um, would probably skew more towards, I mean, families that have more wealth and more income. In terms of uh, making sure the learning is equitable, 
I mean, we can try as hard as we can, but the reality of it is I think it's impossible. Well, part of being poor is having no nest egg, uh, no fallback plan, right? If you don't have any savings and both people are working and it's paycheck to paycheck, there's no backstop there. And unless there's a uh, robust government-sponsored daycare program, uh, you're out of luck. Some countries do that. I'm I'm familiar with what happens in, in Finland where everybody is entitled to free daycare. And if you have the night shift, you can leave your child at a daycare center overnight. And they're supervised by teachers with advanced degrees who are paid high salaries to be uh, reliable and provide an educational experience. But um, we do not provide that kind of uh, backstop in this country. And the this virus has certainly brought out that disparity. Dr. Anthony Fauci says the coronavirus will likely not just disappear, as President Trump has said. I think we ultimately will get control of it. I don't really see us eradicating it. Okay, so that's not really a surprising assessment, I don't think, for those of us who have been following this closely. But perhaps we can explain why the virus probably will not just go away and probably be with us for the rest of our lives and how we'll coexist with it, Dave. Well, because it's... It's been here all along. A coronavirus is a cold virus, right? It's the same kind of virus. This is a particularly infectious and dangerous version of it, but we have not been able to control or eliminate cold viruses. And so he's saying that since this is in the same class, we can't eliminate this. And one of the problems is, is that it keeps uh, keeps morphing, perhaps more slowly than a lot of viruses do, but it does change over time. And so that means... Your immune system was prepared for the last war, but not for the next war. And uh, I think that's the the challenge we'll face. And so uh, masks will probably become a a fact of of life. Um, There may come a time when the therapies are are, are so advanced that when you get the sniffles, they'll hand you a pill and you'll be over it, which is uh, certainly has happened before. And uh, ultimately, a vaccine, which might last for four months, might last for uh, a year. We don't know. But um, I I think it's correct that it's here forever. That's nothing to panic about, though, because we've certainly had serious infections before, and we've learned to live with them. And I have every confidence, Aaron, Mm -hmm. we will learn to live with this as well. I think so, too. We would be remiss today also to talk about... America's favorite pastime, baseball. It gets back underway tonight, and Dr. Anthony Fauci is actually throwing out the first pitch at the Washington Nationals season opener. Yes. Dave, you are a veteran pitcher. You've I've thrown been out there. a first pitch. Any advice for Dr. Fauci? Well, you've got to, first of all, you've got to visualize where you want the ball to go. Okay. All right. Be the ball. So, yeah, that's right. And then as you hold the ball, you need then to be the ball and then to mentally guide it so that it does the last thing you want. The last thing you want is for it to bounce short of home plate. That's embarrassing. So what I did was I spent and I had some of the finest coaches in the world, including Chris Sullivan himself. We went out onto ball fields and uh, I pitched and I pitched and I pitched until I felt my arm was about to fall off. And there were times where I almost lost heart, Aaron, Mm. but I pulled myself up by my leggings. And by golly, when I finally flung that pitch, it made it to the plate. It did not bounce. And all 20 people in the stands (laughs) (laughs) rose to their feet because they were all related to me or uh, were co-workers. 
and uh, gave me a standing ovation. Oh, well, there won't be any fans tonight. So uh, no, at least you, you had go. more fans than Fauci will. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's right. We will be back tomorrow and every day after with a 10-minute rundown of the daily local news. You can subscribe to this podcast. You can also find our news coverage on MindNorthwest.com or listen live at 97.3 FM.